I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Y'all better grab your extra large popcorn. We are in the thick of things with great films. I am open and positive. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Let's throw okay. on these boxer gloves. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we do a deep dive on a new release that's just hit theaters or streaming. I'm Helen. I'm Edison. And I'm Miss Sinclair. Today we will be discussing The Zone of Interest, the most disturbing slice of life film I have personally ever seen. This is Jonathan Glazer's fifth feature film. The Zone of Interest tells the story of the Haas family. Rudolf Haas was commandant of the Auschwitz concentration camp in 1943. He and his wife and children lived an idyllic and alarmingly comfortable life right next to the camp itself. Haas takes pride in his work. His wife, Hedwig, takes pride in her garden, striving for a beautiful home that people envy, all while being numb and indifferent to the vile atrocities being committed right next door. But all isn't perfect in the Haas family. Rudolf has been promoted in his career and must relocate his family to a town near Berlin, much to the dismay of Hedwig, who is happy and comfortable in her house of horrors. Jonathan Glazer takes us deep into the banality of evil. He forces us to question how human beings can be so desensitized to atrocity, how we can bury our heads in the sand in order to advance, how the deafening sounds of horror can become muted background noise, just a humming we can tune out. How caring for the well-being of others comes second to our own agenda. The zone of interest asks the question, whatever happened to loving thy neighbor? <sighs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. <sighs> First impressions, Edison. Okay, so this film has a very unique opening. Um, first off, it's just this like soaring dramatic overture playing over the title card. It's the title, The Zone of Interest, and the text is wobbly. It's like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you look at a digital clock. Not like any of us have those anymore, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like blurry. And yeah. of course, I'm already trying to think about this as like a choice and wonder, you know, why? Blurred lines, blurry vision, not seeing clearly, mm. whatever. But then the screen just goes black and the score plays for what is like maybe a full three or four minutes. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. It was a long time, but it was sort of meditative and yeah. transportative and it like successfully sort of placed me in this okay I'm here in the movie theater I'm watching this I'm, I'm attentive I'm intentional yeah. and then boom it opens to that idyllic scene of mm-hmm. this family on a hill by this beautiful river and you're like oh here we go I thought it was a, a really memorable way to start this film totally mm-hmm. distinct mm-hmm. what did you think Helen? Yeah, very disorienting. The text is disorienting. The sound is disorienting. And then we get that black screen with score and it goes on for so long that I just shut my eyes. I did too. Yeah, and just listened because I'm like, okay, there's nothing for me to look at. Why don't I actually just listen to what I'm hearing here? Which I think is an interesting foreshadowing for how influential the sound of this film is. And then I had an interesting thought when we open on the them by the water just having this lovely afternoon and I thought to myself it's so interesting how in nature you couldn't film in like any sort of 
time period in the last however many years and it will pass for whatever time like Mm -hmm. if you have a shot of a forest as long as it's just nature Mm -hmm. it could be any time you know and it it, my mind sort of went in that place of like oh how how interesting like that we can that nature is timeless really (laughs) um which doesn't really have anything to do with the movie but that's just where my mind went (laughs) but yeah that's that was my first first few impressions what about you Sinclair yeah uh this was on my 2023 anticipated list I love Jonathan Glazer uh, so much. He's only made five features, which I think is is kind of wild. He hasn't done a feature since Under the Skin, and that was 2013. And was so, so good. Yeah. So I've been waiting for him to put another film out. He did a short film called The Fall in 2019 that I've been trying to watch since 2019. And I finally got to see it because they put it on the Criterion channel. And that's definitely an experience as, as well, a seven-minute experience, uh, but an experience nonetheless. Mm. Was it I, seven minutes in heaven? Uh, no, it's straight into the void. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I love his films because they are so few and far between, and I was really excited for this despite its subject matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that you think that you'd be excited to watch. I went to see this at like 11 a.m., and I couldn't wait. <laughs> This is not an early watch. No. Uh, I don't know what time of day is going to watch this movie, (laughs) to be honest. It was like me and some elderly film nerds watching Mm -hmm. this early in the morning. But I found that this opening was really similar to Under the Skin in the sense that it relies heavily on sound. Mm. And I find that he tends to lean more towards image and sound and less on dialogue to make an impact. So this had a lot of similarities to Under the Skin in that way at the beginning of the film which you know is a film that I love so I was I was definitely in I was transfixed right away Mm -hmm. why don't we jump right into storytelling here yeah so this is loosely based off of the 2014 novel by Martin Amos of the same name I haven't read that book but I read a you know brief description and and it is quite different from the movie the family is based off of the Haas real life family however they're they have different names in the book and the actual storyline is about a Nazi officer in Auschwitz who falls in love with the wife and it's about them having this sort of like illicit love affair oh interesting Mm -hmm. yeah so it's quite different (laughs) from what we get in the movie and apparently Jonathan Glazer read that I think before it was even published and optioned it immediately and was very interested in making that story or a version of that story into a movie and it has been you know 10 years in the making so in this film there's a lot of the use of the idea of the banality of evil Mm -hmm. and it's represented in this slice of life like almost documentary style fashion Mm -hmm. I found Mm -hmm. this film (laughs) and the banality of evil comes from political theorist and philosopher Hannah Arendt who basically explored what does horror look like? What does evil look like? She studied war criminal Adolf Eichmann. He was a Nazi operative who was the organizer of the transportation of millions of Jewish people to concentration camps. And what she wrote about him was that he was neither perverted nor sadistic, but terrifyingly normal. And he acted without any motive other than to diligently advance his career in the Nazi bureaucracy so he was essentially a paper pusher he worked at a desk he was a coordinator 
And Haas is similar to that. And I, that's mm-hmm. where the banality of evil tie-in comes in because he is essentially the same as Eichmann in the way that he was looking at this as career advancement. You know, there's scenes in this film where it's people sitting behind a desk, there's people signing papers, they're mm-hmm. having meetings like it's a normal nine to five. And mm-hmm. you realize while you're watching this, oh yeah, these were jobs. Like these mm-hmm. were people mm-hmm. that were caught up in this economic machine. Mm-hmm. And you know, Haas, he's looking for ways to efficiently kill more people. You know, in r- real life, he was experimenting with different pesticides and gases. And there's that horrifying moment in this, the movie where he says, you know, I'm in that room with all those people and I'm thinking about how many people I can I can gas. Like, how could I kill them? But the how can I are do? Too, yeah. Too how can I do high. this so efficiently? Now, you know, he was tried for his war crimes mm-hmm. in real life, like same as Eichmann, but it's that same kind of person. You know, what does evil look like? Well, it can look like a normal everyday man. I think that when it comes to this level of atrocity and evil, we want to believe that you would have to be a monster mm-hmm. in order to carry something like this out. And, you know, what the movie shows us is that that's just not the case. Yeah. Yeah. That we all have (laughs) the capacity for evil. Mm -hmm. And that is a very, very uncomfortable thing to have to confront. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that that was, as far as the way that this story was told, there's a lot of films about the Holocaust. There are a lot of films about World War II and about the absolute atrocities committed at this time. So when you hear that there's a new film that is about that, you kind of have some expectation about what it might be. And what I thought was so, I don't know, original and and affecting about this film is that it doesn't do that. It, does, it doesn't give us any of that. Yeah, you're right, Helen. We want a villain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he is a villain. He's literally like an engineer for Auschwitz like one of the most awful spots that has ever existed in the history of humanity mm-hmm. and this film doesn't give you there's zero catharsis for us as the viewer in this story we want to see the horror so that we can weep and yell and feel better about ourselves because in doing that we recognize the like humanity in our own tears but the film refuses to give us that it just mm-hmm. makes us sit in this uncomfortable sort of flattened portrait of family life that's dull and mundane and you get this increasing sort of steadily growing sickness in your stomach it's like oppressive but not by like hitting you in the head with it it's so different I've never seen this story told in this way before yeah Yeah. well and also how evil can happen as well and you see this family being normal you know quote unquote normal Mm -hmm. in their everyday life and just doing things that we do and it's a reminder that the nazi party didn't seize power they were elected in Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's wild it you're seeing the people just living their every everyday life. 
Yeah, but like, don't you feel like like we could be on the cusp of it again at any given moment? Mm -hmm. This is this is the part of it. It's it's just like because to to your point earlier about it being an organization. Yeah, it's and Um, the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you you're just humans have to do jobs. Most people aren't visionaries. Most people aren't whatever. Most people are job doers. Are workers. So if your skill is you're can type and you're a secretary then you're gonna just get the job that does that you gotta put food on the table for your kids and you're gonna do this and a lot of people ignore their complicity in the greater evil by saying i just have a job to do Yeah. yeah but i think that's like the economic machine as well at the same time because you know you think of people where their jobs just just jobs in general where your job becomes about numbers Mm. and the more meeting targets meeting targets and the more you become desensitized to your job affecting real human beings and obviously this is the most one of the most just awful and terrible terrible examples of that but this happens to certain degrees where your job is your everyday thing and things just become mundane and mm-hmm. normal and you are seeing people as as numbers mm-hmm. It's interesting, too, with how mundane this film is at times. And when we see Hedwig, you know, bringing her mother through and showing her this beautiful home that she's created and bragging about the garden that she designed Mm. and all of these things, you know, there was a moment where I did step away from the premise and, and, and I could recognize the, like, you're proud to show your mother the home that you've made for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because that is a thing that means a lot to people. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think about, I would love to have a home that I would be proud to show my mother that I own. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I do understand that in this context, it's something completely different. But this film does such a good job of just showcasing how we can compartmentalize our lives to fit and to suit what we think is best for us. Mm-hmm. And like to what you were kind of saying earlier, Helen, about the humanity of these characters, mm-hmm. really. When we think about Rudolph, it, it's kind of like Breaking Bad. Like yeah. when you watch that show, you watch the you know the first episode and the final episode, mm-hmm. and it's just not the same person, right? right? But all of his incremental decisions over the course of all of those seasons somehow he could justify them to himself right right? and so you wonder about rudolph like when did the humanity go Mm -hmm. it's not like he woke up and was like i'm gonna make my job murdering all of the jews like you know they wanted to be farmers and live in the country and whatever but Mm -hmm. at a certain point this is what it was and how does this human go from being a human existing in the world to attending a party and all he can think is that as you say Mm -hmm. like how do i kill all these people in the party it's really devastating but you see it in like tiny decisions and there's a warning here to heed yeah there's a match uh for everyone too with hedwig (laughs) right uh they were both just so vile there is the one scene which i actually found to be the most like, you know, there's so many scenes in this that are just so mm-hmm. upsetting. But the most upsetting scene in this for me was when she has the fur coat mm. and the lipstick. Yeah. 
these were belongings of somebody and they're just being treated like objects that are just like up for grabs. Yeah. It's just such a disgusting moment. And yeah. Sandra Huler, she's horrifying and wonderful in this movie, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just that casual. So casual. She puts on that coat. She doesn't even give it a moment's thought. Yeah. And when the mom is there and she says, you know, oh, do you think so-and-so is is on the other side of the... Oh, she may be on the other side of the wall. Oh, who's mm-hmm. she? You know, and talks... Uh, it, it's so... The way that they have dehumanized yeah. Yeah. the Jewish people in this context is, is something that is really difficult. And I have to say... It, it is impossible to watch this film today and not place it in the context of Israel and Palestine and that entire conflict and situation. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into all of that on this podcast. That's not what this is. And there's plenty of other resources out there by people who are far more educated on the topic and mm. to speak about it than I am. But there is something there about the dehumanization of a people and not seeing the humanity to such an extent that you can just grab a coat like Mm -hmm. that and not even give it a moment's thought or a lipstick, right? One of the moments in this movie that really struck me is when Rudolph goes to talk to his horse Mm. and he's so heartbroken to say goodbye to his horse. Mm -hmm. He is treating his horse Mm -hmm. like a human being. And not the millions of people that he facilitated death for across the fence. Like, yeah, that was very chilling, that scene in particular for me. Yeah. And I think for me, the most chilling scene in the whole thing was the one where he was just sitting in the room with all of the other men and they were just laying out the plans for the Mm -hmm. new gas chambers. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be like rotating counterclockwise and just going through. It was so mechanical. Yeah. And entirely just completely devoid of any emotion whatsoever. Zero. None. Zip. Zilch. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we could maybe 400 to 500 and the other corrects him and says closer mm-hmm. to 500. Efficiency. Efficiency. But that and is what those meetings would have been like. It is. Yeah. It totally is. There's no way that the Holocaust could have happened without like very efficient and organized I know. Business people. And, you know, we don't see the stuff behind it. We see the horrors happening. And this movie decides to not show us that. So many movies have done that before. Mm -hmm. But to remind us that this happened somehow Mm -hmm. in terms of a job and paperwork. Like, it's it's wild to think about. I know. These things didn't build themselves, you know? Of course. Like, it's just... to actively know that you are optimizing killing people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know there's a quote in the movie and it's kind of the philosophy that rudolph and hedwig are living by you know they say the life we enjoy is very much worth the sacrifice Mm. and that is a mentality that a lot of people have you know maybe not to that certain degree but this idea of of sacrificing things casualties of things to gain something. Mm-hmm. But I think that what is interesting about this film too is that neither of them think of themselves as being evil. No. Mm-hmm. Even though from the outside we can look at the, at what they're doing as being explicitly, definitively, unquestionably evil, right? But they don't see themselves as that. 
And I think that they're that's, just doing what they need to do for their family. That's the garden. Like, I <laughs> mm-hmm. think that's the right. garden symbolism. For me, I took the garden to symbolize the way that we use beautiful things to as a mask to mm-hmm. hide the like horrific sides of ourselves. And this is a family that's living right beside Auschwitz and they're actively participating in the committing of these atrocities. Well, and, and they're uh, part of the garden is meant to literally mask Auschwitz. Like mm-hmm. grow it, it is grow the trees the high enough so that we can't see it. Yes, yeah. and it is also <laughs> literally fertilized with the ashes of the Jews. Like it is mm-hmm. it is exactly explicitly that. But this garden is this decorative thing of beauty that somehow allows them to not confront the reality of their own loss of humanity Mm, their own self what Mm -hmm. they have sacrificed in this context is their their soul their humanity and that's pretty horrifying Mm -hmm. but i think that yes obviously we don't all experience it to that extent but i think that there is something universal there in a lot of ways like for everybody we rather than atone for the things our sins or take responsibility for some of our actions that we may not be proud of we surround ourselves with beautiful things or items Turn that we wear as badges mm-hmm. yeah, yeah totally all these things so we don't have to look and at ourselves in that light another interesting storytelling element that when i was watching it i found a bit discombobulating and i couldn't quite understand it but there's a few scenes where we have night vision essentially mm-hmm. and we see what appears to be a young girl hiding food at Auschwitz Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it turns out that that was actually based off of a real Polish girl Mm -hmm. named Alexandria who who did that she would sneak into Auschwitz and hide apples and hide food for the prisoners Mm -hmm. and um, she really did find that piece of music that we see that was that was real and it Apparently, too, the the bike that the actor is riding was her actual bike, the actual woman. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Well, and I read an interview with Jonathan Glazer that I did, gave with The Guardian, mm-hmm. and they asked him why that was included in this film, mm-hmm. basically. And his answer was, quote, it represented that small act of resistance mm-hmm. The simple, almost holy act of leaving food is crucial because it is the one point of light. Mm. I really thought I couldn't make the film at that point. Mm. I kept ringing my producer and saying, I'm getting out. I can't do this. It's just too dark. Mm -hmm. It felt impossible to show the utter darkness. So I was looking for the light somewhere and I found it in her. She's Mm. the force for good. Which is is interesting because she's only shown in darkness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much opposition in this. You know, the horror is shown in the day. We normally associate horror with nighttime. Mm -hmm. And the goodness and the light is actually showed at night with the night vision. And, you know, we also see the juxtaposition of the the flowers. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it will zoom in on a flower and then you hear the screams from behind the wall. And I wanted to ask you two, because I don't know if this film will be for everybody especially like Mm -hmm. the style of this film but do the artistic elements and the abstract elements like strike you as something that will be effective in terms of telling this story now for me it is effective some people respond more to something like a Spielberg film that has 
more emotionality, has maybe more character development to a certain degree, maybe is more sentimental. That works for some people. And I've heard criticisms of this being unapologetically artsy. I didn't find that. But does this work? Does like going to a red screen, does that work? effectively for everyone to tell us to tell a story in that way does it even matter if it does I think that the way that this film is shot which we can talk more about in technical Mm -hmm. I think that it is very effective in forcing you to see this scenario from a different perspective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we have seen the horrors of the holocaust in film a lot of different ways and a lot and a lot of times we've the horrors have been put in our faces the way that this movie just limits it to the sound but that we're forced to witness these people live their lives right beside it is horrific in a different way and I found to be very very effective like it really Mm. did make me think about the holocaust and the capacity for evil in human beings in a way that I've never thought about it before. So it was definitely effective for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100% for me too. I think this film isn't going to be for everybody, obviously. You mm-hmm. know, this isn't Avengers Endgame. It's not going to make $2.8 <laughs> billion at the box office all around the world. It's not what it is. It was never going to be that film. So then is this film effective for the people who are going to watch it? I think that the utter lack of sentimentality in this film is effective Mm -hmm. for the story that this film is trying to tell completely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it is a different experience than what we've had before. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we've all seen Schindler's List. It's an incredible Mm -hmm. film. That's Spielberg's take on this. It moves you. You're weeping. It's a totally different thing altogether than what this is. But I think this is effective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that we do become desensitized sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to this, what we've seen a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie is is not that. It, mm-hmm. We are not desensitized to this. So one more thing I want to touch on before we move on from storytelling is the ending. It's mm-hmm. a very interesting ending. You know, we see Haas standing in, you know, what will become a museum. And he is about to vomit. And he chokes back his vomit and then we move forward into time and we see you know the aftermath of mm-hmm. of all of this and and everything he's contributed to how did we interpret that that ending i'm curious i don't know it was very jarring Mm-hmm. I was not expecting it and I wasn't expecting it to show us that and then to come back to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, I'm not sure. Mm. <laughs> I think for me, it was kind of like the mundanity of life just keeps going. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it was two parts. That was one thing where it's like, there's nothing more mundane than like windexing right. a glass display yeah. wall and in like a museum. once again just people doing their job just people doing their job whatever in this setting yeah but it also did make me actually extremely uncomfortable mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. looking at the museum mm-hmm. where in a weird way after this whole film and after his pride and everything and all the rest i was just like this feels like a trophy case mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. A, in a way that i <sighs> did not that i would not have ever thought of in a I've not been to Auschwitz, but I have been to the 
a synagogue, the Dohani Street Synagogue in Budapest, and it has a museum and from the Holocaust. This was a, a really large camp there as well. And I found it to be like one of the most horrifying things I've ever kind of gone through, yeah. like affecting things I've ever seen. But then seeing it in this film, it made me feel like, ugh, like this resistance to the museum because mm-hmm. it felt like polishing it, keeping mm-hmm. it tidy. I was like, ugh, this is not your point of pride. I don't know. It was very weird. It was a weird yeah. feeling. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, these things do exist as well to be a reminder of mm-hmm, past of mistakes course. and to say, hey, this happened. It's interesting that he goes to throw up and he swallows it back down it's you know once again Mm -hmm. a way of repressing any sort of guilt or responsibility Mm -hmm. any sort of acceptance of of the evil that he's done and where this person stands in in time the impact this person has you know Mm -hmm. what is your legacy in history Mm -hmm. what are the long-term effects of your actions I personally I don't know if I could be in that space you know I've That's never been to one of these museums and I I just you you I I feel the like the history in spaces yeah. and I just don't know if I want to be in them I so agree. it just kind of gave me that that feeling yeah so I mm-hmm. think Helen you saying I don't have any words well I think that this movie didn't even use a ton of words it used a yeah, feeling true yeah yeah so. yeah 100 yeah, percent um, okay, well, why don't we talk about performances? Mm-hmm. So the kind of bigger name here is Sandra Huller, who's nominated for an Oscar for Anatomy of a Fall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought she was really great in this. I, I will say this film, oddly, is not about the performances for me at all. I, that's also way. my point. Yep, so mm-hmm. go on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's really not. It's yeah. so weird. Like, I'm watching them, but they're just, again, it's because they're not given... There's no like emotional arc. There's no, this is a very different take. This is, Mm -hmm. it's so unremarkable. There's no sentimentality. It's like, they're just people. And mostly people are like unremarkable. And so Mm -hmm. the performances are sort of unremarkable too, except that they're natural and believable. Yeah. There's a lot of public solitude in this movie. So actors just going about their business as if they're not being watched. Mm -hmm. And the way that this was filmed facilitated that. But she is very good in this in a very different way from Anatomy of a Fall. But as I was watching this, I did think to myself, I wonder if the Academy is partly nominating her for this film as well Mm. by giving her that acting nomination. Because this is a different but equally moving performance. (laughs) Yeah. And there isn't supposed to be glory in this. You know, like this, this movie isn't, meant to be like a star making movie mm-hmm. that's not no. what this is and i think that that's why the acting is really good in this because they had to dial it down and be mm-hmm. as truthful to showing mm-hmm. a slice of life and not glorifying something mm-hmm. that they are part of a bigger vision and they need to fit within that vision because this movie works as a feeling and not as a standout, like a standout performance. Right. Well, to the point that like Christian Friedel, who plays Rudolph, 
when I tell you that I would not know if I walked into a coffee shop tomorrow and bumped into him, I really mean that. And I guess that is a good performance in the context of this film because he's meant to be so ordinary Mm -hmm. as to be kind of forgettable. But he like is entirely forgettable to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say about that. He does look a lot like the like Rudolph Haas. Yeah. If you look up photos. But that's a testament to kind of showing how evil can look normal. So evil can be your, you know, everyday And that's not shade to the performance. No, no. That's not me saying like, If anything, I think that's a testament to the performance because a a lesser actor would try and be more showy or try and prove themselves, I think. Yeah, I believed without a single shadow of a doubt that he was this person throughout Mm. the entire film. Yeah. Yeah. And Sandra Hewler has always said she would never play a Nazi. And she was given a scene from this movie. I would assume maybe the scene where he tells her that they have to relocate. And she didn't know the context, but was given that fight scene and thought it was really good. And then found out afterwards, like, this is the context of the movie and then agreed to do it. That in particular, like when they go down to the water Mm -hmm. and she's like, "Okay, well, I'll stay and you go. You know, you could take that scene out of the context of this movie and it would be a good scene between a husband and wife. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, and you know, everyday (laughs) marital problems. Yeah. Yeah, The husband having to take a job somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe the wife wants to stay. It's these are everyday marital strifes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why don't we talk about technical? We've sort of danced mm-hmm. around a few of the elements of it in talking about storytelling. I think that there's a couple of things that are really key to right. this film working. And I'm sure we'll, we're all on the same page with that. So mm-hmm. let's jump into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Jonathan Glazer and the cinematographer Lucas Zoll actually set up 10 cameras around the house and just let them run. And yeah, that's so cool. So it really is like you're a fly on the wall of this house and this family existing in this home. And I can't imagine how much footage they would have had to comb through (laughs) to edit this movie together. But the house itself as well was constructed to be a replica of the actual house, which is quite chilling to think about. Oh, God. That would be so... Oh, God. I can't even... Like... Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that two technical stars of this movie, because this movie Mm. is described as two movies. There's the movie Mm -hmm. you see, the movie you hear. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing images where the sound doesn't match and shouldn't match. These things should never be together. Yeah. And it's just so interesting technically. Yeah. Nothing was sensationalized. Every, everything kind of looked like an impressionist painting to me. <laughs> you know, the the impressionist paintings you see where it's like a family on the beach. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're mm-hmm. just doing these slice of life things. Things look serene. It just, I just felt this, this movie was just such a, it's, it's just a painting. Mm. You know? I thought that the like setting was really idyllic and beautiful. Honestly, the truth is in that very opening scene when they're on that gorgeous green lush hill and there's there's people swimming down the hill in the river all i could think was like i i mean context i'm in nova scotia we're currently (laughs) buried under literally like 
a hundred plus centimeters of snow. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I just want to swim in that river. Also, how nice to like swim in this river and not have to worry about a shark. And it was just so beautiful <laughs> that I was fully swept away. And that's how this film opens by like luring me into this before mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, visually I thought a lot of it was, it's interesting because the scenes around the house and stuff were also pretty unremarkable really interesting shots and like angles and those types of things but it wasn't like they it wasn't like this was Downton Abbey like it didn't look no. glamorous or it didn't like glorify the era in any capacity mm-hmm. well even thinking about that that series of shots when he goes around locking all the doors at night right yes you can tell that's just taken from a series of cameras around the house it's almost like you're going between like CCTV footage or something watching him do that yeah mm-hmm. Let's talk about the sound design. If this doesn't win the Oscar for it, I it must. Don't, it has, it has to, to win to. sound. So the sound designer was Johnny Byrne, and apparently he compiled a 600-page document of wow. sounds that would have existed in Auschwitz, and also wow. the distance from where the house would have been to where certain things would have been happening, mm. and constructed and designed sound that would have been accurate for where they were. You know, between human screaming, gunshots. God, that's so harrowing. It's harrowing, but it's also like an incredible artistic feat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But imagine the imagine the research that he had to go through in order to do like the labor to go into crafting the sound design for this. Mm -hmm. It it did a lot of the heavy lifting for this film, to be honest, and it was truly remarkable in so many ways. The first part, the first way, is that it's all you can hear for the first chunk of the movie and then you stop noticing it mm-hmm. and yeah, you get that's used to what's it. wild <laughs> i know that's mm-hmm. what's yes, wild that's a that's very disturbing and then he goes to the party and he's in the party scene near the end and it's the same white noise of sound in the background yeah. even though it's an entirely different sound but you're only half clocking it ah, man this film i know and the score yeah by mika levy I mean, the score isn't that present throughout the film itself, except in these dramatic moments where you have that big red screen like you talked about or at the beginning. And then the end, like over the credits, I was like, mm. okay, I already, I am already ending this film feeling a bit like, uh, yeah. and then that was completely insane, the, the score over the credits. It, yeah, I like ran out of the theater, to be honest. I couldn't <laughs> wait to get out of the theater. At the end of this movie, I was, it was too much for me. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the collaboration between Mika Levy and Jonathan Glazer. Under the mm. Skin, that's one of my favorite scores mm. ever. And there's something just really ugh, just haunting and jarring about it. You know, obviously in Under the Skin, it's a little bit more prominent but Mm -hmm. within zone of interest it just it fits very seamlessly it's it's very well done Mm -hmm. yeah all right well what is the last word on the zone of interest miss sinclair yeah this is one of my favorite movies of the year i think the zone of interest and poor things are my favorite movies Mm -hmm. of 2023 you know i've we've already talked about this film so much (laughs) in this episode Mm -hmm. i'll just keep it really short i think that this is one of the most thought-provoking films that I've seen in a while. 
And I think he's an incredible artist. I think he's just such a visionary. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I almost want to say I wish he would make more films, but what he's doing and the timeline that he's doing it mm. seems to be working because right. it tends to be quality over quantity. And mm-hmm. uh, I just, I, re- I really, really appreciate him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Edison? For me, yeah, I agree with you. This film it's such a weird one because it's hard to say it was like one of my favorite films of the year. Know, it certainly wasn't one of my favorite like film watching experiences. <laughs> but it is, I think, one of the best films of the year without question because mm-hmm. it is so effective. It's so original. I've just never seen this story told in quite this way before. And because it doesn't give you a moment's relief, mm-hmm. you're really forced to sit with your own self in this yeah and this isn't just specific to this time no. it's for it's for any time mm-hmm. it's for right now as well every time yeah. we open up our instagram or yeah. watch the news it's an endless stream of horrors from around the world but mm-hmm. you know we can close that i can close that app and order some thai takeout and sit here in my <laughs> comfortable cozy house and not and be safe on this side of the wall and mm-hmm. so it it just i've been thinking about this film mm-hmm. non-stop since i've seen mm-hmm. it I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. Yeah, it was it was really incredible. Yeah. What did you think, Helen? This movie disgusted me mm-hmm. as it should. Mm-hmm. And it made me reflect on my own complicity yeah. in the horrors of the world. <laughs> so just a really lovely Monday afternoon viewing for me. <laughs> um, but no, this movie is incredible and it better win sound at the Oscars. Oh God, yeah. 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 All right. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And season seven episodes are on YouTube at Talk Movie to Me Podcast. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. I'm Edison. 